everyone. It is time to head north. I am Natasha Ryan with the North Group. They're VP of Communications, former news anchor turned podcast host. And I am so delighted to have the Clint Emerson on today. Thanks for joining us, Clint. Oh, it's good to be here. Good catching up with you. Okay, so here's the deal. From what I've watched, I know how humble this man is. So I'm going to go through some of his bio and then I'll let him speak to it. But I want you to know this man is a Navy SEAL. He has penned a ton of books. We have 100 Deadly Skills, Escape the Wolf, The Right Kind of Crazy, The Rugged Life. Which is your favorite, Clint? Oh, man, that's a thick one. one. There's a fire and you can only pick one original copy. <laughs> yeah, if there's an emergency, I'd probably pick 100 Deadly Skills, number one, the first one that came out, the yellow cover, and Hunter Deli Skills, number two, the green cover. Both of those cover pretty much everything you'd need to know in an urban or in a rural environment emergency. All right. And I want you to give your bio a little bit, including the fact that this man was a Navy SEAL. And if you do not know what they go through to even become a SEAL, you should totally check out some of his interview on BUDS training because it is impressive to say the least. But I know you hear that a lot. So Clint, tell us a little bit about something about yourself that maybe we don't know or we haven't heard um boy um i don't even i have a horrible memory so i don't remember what i've said from podcast to podcast so <laughs> I'll, I'll give it i'll give it my best shot let's see okay, okay. Yeah, I, I did i did 20 years in the navy i started at uh, seal team three with popular guys like uh, chris kyle and uh glenn doherty as people know chris died here in texas shot in the back by another veteran and then of course glenn doherty died in Benghazi. Um, let's see. Then I ended up at the NSA, which is the National Security Agency. And that's when I kind of started my solo or singleton working alone operations. Um, and then I went down to SEAL Team 6 and finished my career there. And then since uh, getting out, I've been uh, doing crisis management for Fortune 500, small businesses, places of worship, uh, private schools, you name it. And I've been doing that now for seven, eight years that I've been retired. Love it. Okay. Cool. Now I did listen to one of your former interviews and you talked about growing up in Saudi Arabia and how it really formed what you wanted to do with your life and to protect. And that is why we have Clint on the show today, because we want to talk about his skills and how they're applicable to protecting your family, because we, we really want to awaken the heads in the sands, the heads in the sand. We want to say, this is what you can do that anyone can do really to be a prepared family. But I think first of all, let's define, you know, focus on what is the difference between an unprepared family and a prepared family? Oh, I mean, I think the, there's a lot of differences. The big one is complacency. Um, so you know, and there's a term that I'm sure you guys know in the security world, complacency kills. It definitely applies to it applies to all of us, but especially like guard forces and those that are supposed to be paying attention and they get distracted by devices and other technology or whatever. But for families, complacency is, you know, hey, it'll never happen to me or I live in a safe neighborhood. And, you know, there's a lot of excuses that you can make up or come up with. Um, but I think that's the big one. And, you know, and when you use word like being more prepared, unfortunately, that sometimes has a weird negative connotation to it 
for some unknown reason, people see it's like, oh, you must be paranoid or weird because you want to be like ready for worst case scenarios. But yeah, I like to always point out, you know, it's not a prepper, right? Prepper buys shit off Amazon, shoves it in a closet and waits for the zombies to show up. Um, just being prepared is more about skills than it is about equipment and gear, right? Even though we all want to buy the cool little gadgets, the reality is if you don't have any skills, well, then you really can't use all that cool gear or gadgets. So, but that's a long answer. Complacent. Train, plan, prepare. You got to train. Right. That's right. Okay. So, um, and I, and I would like to say from a civilian side, you know, military brat, but I didn't serve. Thank you for your service. Um, I will tell you as a newscaster, this is absolutely correct to prepare. And because if I had a dime for everyone that said, I didn't think this could happen to me, I would be extremely wealthy right now. So it can happen anywhere to anyone. Does not matter if you are affluent or if you have a dollar in the bank, sure. you could be victimized and so could your family. So let's talk about the the top five things. And I, I don't wanna come, we'll get there in a minute, but I don't wanna come from like a skilled security professional. I wanna talk about the average citizen. What are the top five things they can do to protect their family? Top five, man. There's so many verticals that I break stuff up into, but I would say mm -hmm. number one, um, skills. All right. I hit on it before, but, and that's what I sell. That's what I preach. Um, and so start adopting skills that help you in the big five crisis worlds. And that would be number one, man-made crisis. So what are the skills that could have you survive a man-made event? D a lot of this is dictated by your geographical location and, you know, especially on man-made, that's crime statistics of where you live. Um, so that way you're not trying to prepare for everything. You're just trying to prepare for the things in your area that are most likely to happen or could potentially occur to you. Next is natural disaster, right? So what is the natural disaster in your area? Right. We've got tornadoes all over the country right now. I, I my property was hit by a tornado uh, in Dallas in December, destroyed everything. Right. And who would have thought it's December? It's not even like tornado season. Um, but you've got to look at where you live and go, OK, what's the natural disaster that could potentially happen to me? Then medical events. Right. Look at your family and go, OK, we know trauma could potentially happen. Probably a car accident is the, the probably the biggest one. What else? Mom, how old are you? Dad, how old are you? You know, what meds are they taking? Should we stockpile those meds in case the power goes out, right? So man-made, natural, medical. Then you've got cyber, right? It's not in the news right now because the news likes to ebb and flow with the latest, greatest drama. So hackers aren't being covered, but it's still going on. Um, so get some skills on how to fortify any of your digital assets, right? And then um, the other one is travel, right? Whether it's traveling from home to work, home to the grocery store, or jumping on a plane in Dulles and going to Dubai, you probably need to know some things about where you're going, what you're doing, the do's and don'ts for that culture, what you should wear, what you shouldn't wear, right? Um, and I would say 
each of the big five have a couple of skills right at the top you should concentrate on. But you at home as a family need to think about life support items right off the bat, right? Do I have enough water? Do I have enough food? Do I have those those drugs that are required for my kids or for myself that I need to have at least probably a couple of prescriptions filled and stored in the cabinet? Um, you know, and then of course you've got medical gear, uh, anything that can solve a, a major bleeder tourniquets, obviously used to be last that you would use. Now they're first when it comes to major bleeding of extremities. And that does not include your neck to your head. You don't want to put a tourniquet on your neck. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think, you know, that's a big long answer, but I think it gives people a lot to think about And, and categorically things that are important is what you got to kind of hit on because, just a couple of things here and there isn't going to cut it because then you'll get caught off guard by that one thing in a category that you didn't think of. There you go. Okay. So let's dive into the man-made right crime. I want to run a scenario with you. I'm a single mom, two kids, home invasion. From the moment, if I have an alarm, my alarm goes off. If someone doesn't have an alarm, the minute they hear a sound or a door getting busted open, glass breaking, or worse, someone's already in front of them? Like what, how do you handle this? Well, I'd say first and foremost, you know, people throw around situational awareness all the time, but the reality is, is if you try to pay attention to everything, you pay attention to absolutely nothing. Um, so knowing your neighborhood, knowing the cars, knowing the people, um, and trying to build the, the village or the community again is a good idea. The neighborhoods I've lived in in the past, no one's talking to each other anymore. You know, that's neighborhoods used to talk to each other. So first right. thing first is on the preparedness side as a single mom with kids is know your neighbors, talk to them regularly, make sure you're exchanging information with one another, weird cars, weird people, right? At weird times a day. And uh, that in itself uh, does wonders. Um, now, the next piece is you kind of, peel the onion of security and perimeter away. Um, most of your bad guys don't like anything unpredictable. So animals, kids. If you don't have kids, put some toys in your front yard, you buy a target. Uh, animals, put an animal sign, right? So that keeps away the people that want your stuff. Now, the people that want you, that's a different animal. That's a different equation. But for them, as you get closer and closer to that door, me being from Texas, I would advise you to go to your local boot store, buy a size a pair a pair size twelve cowboy boots. You know, get them nice and wet, throw them in the dryer a couple of times, wear them out a little, and then put them right outside your front door, both your front door and your back door. Okay. <laughs> Any idiot sees pair size 12 shit kickers. I'm not fucking hanging out with this woman. Um, so that would be. Uh, I'm from Oklahoma. I own them already. <laughs> well, not, not yours. Someone I else. know. Bigger. Bigger. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's uh, that. So now back to your scenario. That's a lot of preparedness. That's a lot of prevention. There's a lot more, but staying in, staying in line with your question. Um, yeah, alarm systems are great. If you don't have one, you should. Most of them are pretty inexpensive. You can buy the do-it-yourself ones that are awesome. Um, 
Ring, of course, is, is yeah. huge. You can do ring floodlights, ring doorbells, ring, ring, ring all around the whole house. And not only will it light people up or engage them in some manner, um, it, it all comes to your phone digitally. And of course, you'll have video pictures of anything and everything that's going on. Now, let's say you don't have any of that. You don't have an alarm system and somebody's, you know, breaking a window. Um, I talk a lot about the tactical nightstand, right? I've got it in my books. <laughs> so we all do it. We just don't call it that. I do. Um, and everyone's tactical nightstand is different. But the minimum should be your car keys, your phone, um, some form of illumination, first aid. And then, of course, if you're a weapons person, have weapons. Um, if you like guns, have a gun for sure. Uh, you can default to a baseball bat. Um, you can also default to oven cleaner because it will permanently blind a bad guy for the rest of his life. Uh, but that's a little, you know, you're putting yourself in lawsuit world because that guy is just going to say he was drunk and stumbled into your house on accident. Um, so the better thing is bear spray, right? You can spray it 30 feet away. It's a little more potent than your typical mace. Plus the maces all come in this little weird, it takes a lot of fine motors. A lot skills. of pitching, yes. And so when adrenaline is pumping and you're stressed out, your fine motor skills don't work. So right. the, the mace cans is just a, it's one big grip, one big thumb press, right? Whereas these little mace things, like it's too much finger work and it's not going to work under stress, right? Okay. So you definitely want to stick to big, gross motor skill type response items um even a gun is going to be pretty difficult once you get that finger on the trigger so um but that's why training you got to be shooting all the time if you plan on deploying it um so you've got your tactical nightstand built and uh you hear maybe banging at the door let's talk about the door the door frame in itself is made of wood and it has a steel bolt going into it so when you kick a door, the steel boat bolt then fractures the door frame and the door goes open. How do you prevent that? Well, most of your construction of these homes is crap. They use these half inch screws to hold your strike plate in place. And on the door frame, they use a couple of nails on both sides and everywhere to hold it in place. Um, so what you want to do is reinforce your door frame. It's super easy. You're going to take everything out of your strike plate all the, the two little screws and the strike plate by the way is on the frame and it's what the latch and bolt go into you're going to remove those half inch screws and you're going to replace them with three inch wood screws drive them all the way into the stud two of those okay that's going to help reinforce your deadbolt then you're going to do the same thing three and a half inch screws all the way up your door frame on the strike plate side and all the way down so that's going to lock your door frame to the immediate stud that's right behind it. And it's going to turn the door kicking from one or two into more. And that's what you want, right? Maybe five kicks, maybe 10 kicks, depending on the bad guy. Yeah. Um, and it's going to give you time. And, and in these scenarios, you, you want time to be an ally, not an adversary. And so what you're doing is you're building in all these little things that create a lot of time for you so that you can hear the first couple of bangs. Then, you know, OK, grabbing my keys to my car, I'm hitting the panic button to set off the alarm on my vehicle. I'm not turning on any lights 
because I know my blueprint better than the bad guy. I want the bad guy to stumble, fall, and trip over everything, especially my kids' toys. And then while he's banging at the door, car alarm goes off. You're grabbing your gun. You're standing by the door going, come on, dude. Will you just break the door in, please, so I can shoot you in the face? <laughs> That's ideally how it should go. Um, but it, everything I've mentioned is all about, you know, you have to think about these scenarios and then kind of go through the phase line of it and go, okay, what can I do here? What can I do here? What can I do here? And just kind of keep going through the, the phase line and you'll come up with all kinds of great things that'll prevent it from ever happening and make your response time super fast, get through the crisis and then come out on the back end alive and well. And all you have to do at that point is recover. Um, but I hope some of that, I hope some of that helps. My question is, what do you do? And this is getting like worst case, case scenario grim, but what do you do if someone's already over you? Like you're in bed, you've slept through it. They've managed to break in quietly. How do you survive? I mean, that's a tough one. You can survive. And if you wake up and someone is there, I mean, ideally you have something within arm's reach as a weapon. Uh, immediately want to create distance because distance increases survivability. Um, so it's a toss up between whether you're going to grab the weapon and commit to the fight or you're going to create distance immediately, get up and off of that bed and put the bed between you and the person, right? Mm -hmm. And obviously there's a game of cat and mouse there, um, but any obstacle you can get between, once again, you're getting trying to get time on your side and then, okay, how do I get to my exit, right? And that's a, that's a big deal. Um, and the first thing that we always think through is, oh, the exit is the bedroom door. No, it's the window behind you that you could throw a chair through, a book, through, whatever you need to do. You're getting off the X as quickly as possible. And the X is no different than Wild E. Coyote and the Roadrunner, right? Wild E. Coyote is always trying to push a piano off onto the X where the Roadrunner is sitting for a split second, but the Roadrunner is smart and he moves right before the piano crashes on top of his head. So you want to be the Roadrunner. You want to always get off the X as quickly as possible because that's where the bad guy wants to ambush you, which gives him stealth, speed, surprise. So getting out of the bed, getting distance, getting time on your side, time creates opportunity. Find an out, go through the out, commit to the out. If they, if they encroach you, come on you, whatever, then you're back to the fight again. But the whole purpose is never to get entangled from the, you know, at all, ideally. Right. And if you grab that weapon, you've already got it with you. As you go to your out, that's even better. But I would say if you pick a weapon versus time, pick time, right? Because if it's going to waste time trying to dig through your nightstand drawer to grab your little pistol that you buried under their Bible, well, then no, you're not going to make it, right? So create distance, get time on your side, start finding your options, and then commit to them. And this goes back to you have to, if you're going to have that weapon, you are not, you are in a state of trauma and panic at that point. You are not going to be able to do this to a safe and be able to get everything going in time. So it comes back to training if you're going to have a weapon, but training may not look to a civilian, how it would look to you. What, what is training look like for a normal person? Like what's, an acceptable or efficient amount, a daily routine 
to be adequately trained? Good question. Um, everybody's capability is going to be a little different. Um, how they learn, uh, how they perform. Number one, that you, in order to be effective at any of the training of whether it's a, you know, in the martial arts or combat as fighting world, or if it's even just shooting on the range, um, the foundation is fitness, right? You've got to be able to move. So that's number one, right? And if you're overweight, you know, or you've got ambulatory issues, handicaps, whatever it is, the first thing you have to establish is how do I move and how do I do it quickly? Um, and then having that strength and conditioning is the other piece to this, right? So now I've got to have enough strength, not just to pick myself up, but maybe pick up a family member um, and in the, in the heart and lungs to do that to a finish line of some sort, right? So foundation and fitness is key uh, so that you get the most out of whatever it is you're training for. So now when you talk about training and timeline, so if I'm working out every day, because I don't believe in overtraining, um, you can always do something every day without yeah. hurting a muscle group or whatever. You know, if you look at the NFL or any of your major sports, I mean, these guys are working out all the time. We're never going to be able to do that. So if you think for a second that your overtraining is going to hurt you, <laughs> go talk to a pro athlete. Um, so training, train, train your body. Uh, training your mind is going through the what ifs on these scenarios and then actually training the asset level stuff, right? You ask yourself, am I an asset or am I a liability? The real good way to determine that is, are you the one that's going to get carried out of the fire or are you the one carrying people out of the fire, right? All right. So now you're kind of focusing on shooting. And, uh, you know, so with shooting for me coming from the SEAL teams, you know, a platoon of SEAL shoots more ammo in a year than the entire United States Marine Corps, right? So we shoot and we burn through it like you wouldn't believe. Everything we do is live fire and it's it's exhausting. Now I've been out. I've been retired seven, eight years. And I can tell you that where I get rusty on shooting is when probably a month or two has gone by, Right. I can get a month or two and I get out there and I can, well, as soon as I crack off that first round, I know where I'm at. I go, oh, yeah, yeah it's been a while. Or, huh, okay, I'm still good. Okay. But for me, you know, four, four to eight weeks, you go beyond that with shooting, you're going to lose a lot of your muscle memory. You're going to lose a lot of that, you know, all those little details that you just don't know you've got when you're shooting all the time versus when you take a break from it. Um, but, that doesn't mean go shooting once every couple of months, right? If I had my way, in which I do now, I just bought a bought a new property and I put in a little range. So now I can I start my day with you know zeroing a rifle or shooting a cup couple of magazines. It doesn't take much because if you're doing it on a regular basis, yeah, you shoot, you know, I can shoot you know whatever sixteen rounds through my pistol and I'm good, right? I'm doing right. that on a regular basis. Rifle, same thing. Um, so for the average person, you know, you probably want to get to the range. Ideally, it's once a week. Uh, you know, 
every okay. two weeks, maybe. Okay. Uh, I wouldn't go beyond that, you know, and, and, and here's the other key. A lot of people go to a range and they shoot paper and indoor ranges are a nightmare because they won't let you draw from a holster. They won't let you do any of the stuff that's actually really important. So this is stuff you can do at home, clear and safe your weapon, zero ammunition in sight, and then lay in your bed, put that gun wherever you're going to have it and start timing yourself, right? Hit, hit, the, hit the start button on your, your smartphone Go through the motions and just try and beat that time and do that, you know, a couple of times a week, just, just for fun. Right. Yeah. The other thing I do is I have this big mirror, like on my way out of my house. So I can, I carry seal everywhere. So I just do 10 draws, you know, from appendix to the mirror, appendix to the mirror, from appendix to the mirror, 10 times before I'm allowed to walk out the door each day. So you can take a lot of the things you can't do at a range that are actually more important, like getting to your gun is almost more important than the bullet itself. You know, yeah, you want to get bullets down range. You want to be accurate. But if you can't get it out in a timely manner, well, then it's worthless. Yeah. So we've talked about how to protect inside your home. And we've talked about training with the weapon and the tactical nightstand. Let's shift to a conversation about being out in public. How do the rules change? How, what do you do now? Like, what are the, what are the things you should be doing when you're out and about to protect your family? Yeah. So we go back to that statement, awareness. You can't pay attention to everything. Right? Yeah. So know where you're going, know what's going on there. You know, there's a quick little, out and about traveling, whatever it is, um, in, in one of my books, Escape the Wolf, is a threat report, T-H-R-E-A-T. And these are things you can Google these days for anybody yep. who travels, right? The first T is technical threats that can be used against you. So you put technical threats, China, and you're going to get plenty of information. <laughs> and then you can do H, which is health threats. And R is raids, robbery, and ransom, which are the most violent crimes that could be done against you. You can Google them. Um, e is environmental threats like natural disasters and A is agencies working against you. And then T, of course, is never going away, which is terrorism. So that's a big, broad th threat, threat report you could do if you and your family are traveling. Um, if you're just out and about and you're going to the malls and stuff, you know, communication with your kids um, as early as possible is key. So... By the way, before you finish this thought, my boss would be mad at me if I did not tell you that his five-year-old son has escaped the wolf on his nightstand. <laughs> oh, nice. Good. Yeah. That is awesome. Yeah. The Bible and escape the wolf. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Perfect. Okay. Good, good job. Um, and I would say add the, the first edition of, of uh, Hunter Deli Skills to it because kids love it. It's fully illustrated. They love it. Okay. Um, yeah. So... Uh, talking to your kids um, in a informative, non-threatening, non-scary way, right? Hey, when we go out, we're going to hold belt loops or we're going to hold hands or we're going to do these things that keep us all together as much as we can. Um, you know, if we, if we end up apart, separated some form or fashion, you know, you're going to pick a rally point. That rally point could be uh, a place inside where you're going. Like once you walk into the mall, Hey, I will meet you here. If you get separated, do not leave this spot. Right. Um, but having, having 
communication plans, rally plans, right? Um, even hand gestures or something that kind of mean like, you know, I don't like the situation mommy's in right now, like we a fist out to the side. What's that? We have a code word, my girls. Code say. word that you could say in the middle of a conversation. Um, but I, the, the biggest point here is just talking to your kids and what ifing different scenarios before you even go. Um, I have a friend, man, his kids are carrying blades and can do this swarm attack. If dad ends up in a confrontation in what, you know, Pat McNamara calls the epicenter of disaster Walmart parking lot, um, <laughs> the kids will come out with blades and just totally annihilate you really quick and then get back in single file line behind dad, right? <laughs> I mean, it's pretty cool. Um, you can go that far, you know, get your kids trained up and they just, uh, they swarm the bad guy and then they, they basically retreat behind dad once it's done. But, um, yeah, communication is key with your family, knowing where you're going, what you're doing, having rally points in case you get separated. Uh, and then talking about, you know, it's, 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 it's unfortunate talking about active shooter. You know, but you could go to the mall or they could go to school. They can go anywhere in public these days. And what used to be the wrong place at the wrong time is now any place at any time. So making sure they understand run, hide, fight, you know, and um, keep it simple. Right. Increase distance, increase survivability. If you have an option to run, you should. If you find yourself trying to hide, make sure you know that hiding is temporary. Right. You never want to just be a sitting duck. Um, but if you're going to be a sitting duck, make sure you know how to know how to barricade a door properly. And if you're going to fight, you better have a plan. You better have a team and you better be the most violent person on the planet when that fight comes your way. But uh, yeah, I mean, I could go on, obviously, uh, forever, but I'll stop there. Well, and, you know, we've talked so much about situational awareness on the podcast uh, in, in former episodes, and we just continue to drive home that if something doesn't sound right, smell right, feel right, something's off, then just remove yourself, right? Don't go towards it to investigate, leave. <laughs> yeah. In, my, in, one, in that book that, he, that his son escaped the wolf, I talk about setting thresholds. They're like, invisible boundaries you're constantly kind of putting up you see somebody suspicious right yeah you're automatically putting uh, a threshold that if that person passes the threshold then i'm actioning some of the decisions that i've already made right like i'm going to make a u-turn or i'm going to take a left or i'm going to go this direction instead of that direction um or you know so setting these invisible thresholds really helps execute those decisions so that you're not going, well, maybe it's not so bad that he crossed the street and came on my side, right? Your invisible threshold could have been the street itself. If he comes across the street, then I'm going into this store and whatever, calling for help. Um, but set invisible thresholds and that will, that'll kind of secure some of that situational awareness piece, right? Because Trying to pay attention to everything, pay attention to all this and that yeah. it makes things yeah. very difficult. As much as we like to compare our brains to computers, they're not. No, no. I wish mine was sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Um, maybe it would integrate a little bit better with my laptop. Um, so uh, what is the, and I know we're going to kind of harp on the same things here with this question, but there probably will be a few different 
different thoughts on it. What is the difference between preparing in like a permissive versus semi-permissive? So let's talk about spring break in Mexico. Like what's the difference in prepping to protect, you know, like your teenager who's going to spring break in Mexico? Oh boy. Assuming you're letting them go, <laughs> yeah. which I never would. But. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's first. Um, there's, there's definitely, you know, there's a time and place to say no. Just say no. Um, yeah, I mean, I think generally speaking, the difference between permissive, semi-permissive and denied environments always anchors to the government in charge. Right. And that's that's big. That's a big macro look at it. But that's really what it boils down to. Um, and there's very few permissive environments on this planet. Very few. So right off the bat, treat everything as semi-permissive or denied, right? Just do that anyway, because that's the best place to default to. Okay. Uh, but for the sake of your listeners and definition, uh, a permissive environment means that the government has control of its people. It's got regulations. It's got uh, trustworthy law enforcement. It's got, you know, laws and rules and things that are in place that are obeyed and followed, um, and a lot of people would say that's America, you know, um, but it's not. People would say that might be Canada, but it's not. Um, we are considered permissive countries because you can usually come and go freely without any big issues. Right. Yeah. Um, and that's key. Semi permissive. You know, that that would definitely be like like a Mexico. You know, there's a government in place, but does it really have control? Hmm, probably not. Right. The cartels definitely have control. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, it, there's there's not too much there's not too much backbone there and coming and going freely. It's questionable. Right. Right. And then you have just straight up denied environments like Somalia, Yemen, a lot of war torn countries. Um, you know, that that's just kind of like denied, meaning, hey, if you're going there, you better you better be locked on. You better know what you're doing. You better be on a mission of some sort, because there's no reason for tourism uh, and it's a bad place to be. Um, yeah. I would say that you could take any country and break it up into permissive, semi-permissive and denied, right? There are some cities in this country that are borderline denied yeah. uh, or at least chunks of a city. You know, parts of there's parts of, you know, South Chicago, for example, I'd say that's a denied environment for a lot of people. Um, yeah. So anyway, uh, next, uh, teenagers going on spring break. I mean, holy crap. That's just, you know, that's a lot of trouble. I mean, a lot of trouble. Yeah, that's a bit, and it's a big subject, but you know, before you leave, you know, contact information better be of abundance. It better be written down because you can assume they're going to lose their cell phone. Nobody memorizes phone numbers anymore. Um, make sure they have, you know, most of their cash hidden a little bit in a dummy wallet or a dummy purse. Okay. Dummy wallet, dummy purse is an actual uh, decoy of, you know, bribery, crime, all of these things are normal pickpocketing to be included in that. So, you know, the dummy wallet is the one you open up that has a whole bunch of ones in it that the cop sees and you're willing to give away, right. Just to keep on moving forward. The dummy wallet is the one that if, you know, it's an express kidnapping, meaning you got into the, the wrong taxi cab, they drive, you know, for a ways saying, give me everything you got. You're giving them that wallet. 
you know that you still have plenty of cash in reserve, IDs and passports all in reserve, hidden, not on your body, right? Yeah. Um, so you want to have the ability to give them something uh, because giving up something is better than giving up a, a, a body part, your life or some injury of some right. sort. Right. Um, you know, drinking. Obviously, this is a big one. You know, they got to keep their wits about them. They've got to make sure they they are the ones that actually purchase the drink, hold the drink and keep it with them. Obviously, we know women, you know, a napkin on top. Now that you've got the fingernail polish, you can dip in the drink. It'll tell you if it's been spiked with a roofie. Um, there's a lot of cool technology now. Um, there's dip strips and there's the fingernail polish. Uh, they've been known to work to a certain level, but don't count on it 100 um, percent. Okay. Some of those chemicals don't react. Uh, I think it's, I don't know what the, the success rate is, but it's questionable. Um, but it is good technology in the right directions to prevent women from being, you know, roofied. Um, the places you stay, right? Uh, you know, your big box five stars, you know, resorts with security, especially in Mexico, those tend to be okay. And the cartels don't mess with them. They have a couple of times uh, here recently, but it was all like by mistake. Um, they know that if they really start messing with their with tourism or Americans, especially, they know there's repercussions and they don't want anything to do with that. So they yeah. tend to kind of leave the resort. So then that comes back to from the airport to the resort. Right. So making sure that logistically, you are vetting those companies. A lot of the resorts send their own vehicles um, and treat those resort vehicles no different than an Uber. You wait for them to say your name. You don't yeah. say theirs. If they engage you with your name and the only way they could have gotten that information is because you made a reservation at the resort and the resort told that driver with his clipboard and his list, then you know, okay, we're good to go. But you want to use all the safety criteria with those resort vehicles as you would with an Uber. You wait for them to engage. You're going to do the FAR recognition. Yes, it's got the Uber tag or whatever in the front window. Right. It's the right make, model, color. It's got the same driver. The picture looks the same. The vehicle looks the same. All that, right? And, um, and then, of course, as you get into the back, as you, when you open that door, you hit the unlock, lock, unlock, unlock. Make sure all of that works. It's not child locks are on. Roll down the window, raise the window, you know, check all that electronics on that door before you get in and close it. God, I've never done that. How have I never thought to do that? <laughs> yeah. Um, now you're inside. Okay. There are a lot of questions I get all the time. Do I position myself on the passenger side? We tend to do that. We tend to be on the passenger side, rear seat, right? I right. have no advantage. Okay. I sit behind the driver because if he does something I don't like, his seatbelt becomes my strangulation device. <laughs> I will strangle that dude until he passes out and the car crashes into the curb. I don't care, but I'm not yes. letting someone have 100% control, especially if you're, if we're talking about semi permissive or denied environments, right? Yeah. You sit behind them and you pay attention. Okay. So your route. It's real easy. Go on Google Earth these days. All right. The route from the airport to my resort. Zoom in. Well, there's a big church I'll be passing. Uh, there's a big stadium, soccer fields I'm supposed to be passing. So all you need to pick out is, 
you know, if it's a one hour drive, like a lot of your lot, like Cancun, for example, it's usually one hour, right? One hour from the airport or more, maybe two hours, um, depending on the resort. Two hours, you could, you could pick half a dozen major landmarks that you should see out the left or the right hand window when you're driving. You get that it's a constant warm and fuzzy, right? Yep, yeah. there's a stadium. Yep, there's that church. Yep, there's that big skyscraper. Yep, we went over a bridge that went over water, right? Those are, it takes two seconds. Look at that crap. Yeah. And, uh, and make sure that you're seeing all that as you, now you know, okay, I'm going the right way. Um, okay, there, I'll stop. <laughs> <laughs> no, so, no, this is super helpful. I mean, we have both the skilled and unskilled listeners on our podcast, in our podcast yeah. audience. So, you know, I would love to hear your answer on the difference if someone's extremely skilled what happens during a home invasion but i think i know the answer to that so i would just like to thank you for your time very much and see if you had any final thoughts or anything you wanted to add no it's all good i'm just uh thanks for putting up with me and my time changes and uh i appreciate you guys uh having me on and appreciate you know all the security and safety stuff you guys provide well, thank you for that. And I would love to have you back on because you did grow up in Saudi Arabia and talk more about uh, them cutting ties with us. So I would love to have that as the next podcast conversation. <laughs> yeah, I would love to destroy them. No doubt. <laughs> okay. <laughs> thank you so much. If you want to check out any of his materials, um, he has a lot of training. He trained journalists. He's trained all sorts of people across the country. Tell them how they find your materials, please. Yeah, the probably the center of my ecosystem is clintemerson.com. And then, of course, you can just Google Clint Emerson and there's more than enough material that pops up. All right. Thank you so much. And thanks to all of you for watching or listening. And for more episodes, just head to tngdefense.com. I'm Natasha. And until next time, enjoy your day. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, Clint.